Mm, good, good. Are you familiar with the phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus? You are? Well, the Bible's not. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? What does that even mean? A personal relationship with Jesus. Well, it means something different for everyone who professes to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Personal means specific to a person. And we also use the word to often mean private. Which is what we quite often do with our personal relationship with Jesus. It's private. Just between me and God. Nothing to do with you. There is the inference, strong inference, of a personal relationship with God in Scripture. It is a, it is a strong biblical concept, if not necessarily biblical language. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. God called him his friend. Moses had this personal relationship. So did David and many others. And when you read their stories and you look at the way they engaged with God, you could see there was something very special, very personal happening there. But this concept has been taken to an extreme in our postmodern context of rampant individualism. And in this, we have elevated the personal way above and beyond the communal. So yeah, Abraham was God's friend and he had a personal relationship with God. But those promises that God gave Abraham were for a nation. And he would not see the fulfillment of those promises we would. That relationship Moses had with God, that facilitated a relationship with the nation of Israel. David, the nation of Israel. It's not just about you and God. And it never has been. You see, our insular personal relationship with Jesus can turn into a vacuum. And we can't help but fill that vacuum with our own image of the kind of Jesus that we want to be friends with. And we interpret the scriptures through that same lens of individualism as well. So that everything we read in scripture we make about ourselves and assume that God means us when he's saying anything. When often, if not mostly, God's prophetic word is speaking to something so much greater than us as individuals. He's speaking to us all as a body, as a nation, as his people, as his church. And so we make Jesus, we turn him into whatever we want him to be. 
not who he is. And in extremes, we can completely recreate who God is. And an extreme would be the God, the Jesus of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Where in that vacuum, Jesus isn't even God anymore. Now, maybe you haven't done that, but we still shape Jesus into the guy that we want him to be. The one that's convenient for our doctrines, convenient for our lifestyle, convenient for our idea of how things should be. I've talked with lots of people who have developed funny ideas about who God is and what he does and who he wants them to be. And it's all in their heads. And it's all developed in isolation. How can we continue to grow in a truly authentic relationship with God as King David did, but not get all weird and disconnected from the truth and each other in the process? I think we need to understand, to start off with, that we're on a, what I call a relational spectrum. We sit on a relational spectrum. At one end, at one extreme, there is this focus on an exclusive personal relationship with God, or at least who we think God is. And at the other extreme, there is a religious association with a group of people with the same basic belief system as us, but without any intimacy and personal engagement with God. And there are lots of people who sit on those extremes in the wider body of Christ. Where your connection with God is more a connection with a religious institution. And there are some people who think that you can follow Christ and have absolutely nothing to do with his people, with the church. I would suggest to you this morning that neither is healthy, neither is biblical, Neither is the way that Jesus modeled and what we see in the disciples. So let's see what the disciples did do. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's go to the scriptures. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. There's an awesome narrative here in Luke 24, and I want to have a good look at the whole thing and see what we can pull out. Luke 24, we're going to read from uh, verse 13. And I'll be interjecting a little commentary throughout the reading of God's Word. So let's see if we can discern between what is God's Word and what is Clay talking about it. Luke chapter 24 from verse 13. Now that same day, that being the day that the woman discovered the empty tomb, that's the day we're talking about, that same day two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept 
from re- recognizing him. Now, just want to pause there. Why do you think they were kept from recognizing Jesus? Why would, why would you do that, Lord? I'm convinced that the reason, the reason that Jesus obscured their ability to see him physically because he wanted them to see who he really was, which their minds wouldn't let them see in the physical. Just as the people of Nazareth, who Jesus grew up with, couldn't see the Messiah in Joseph the carpenter's son, they needed to see Jesus in the spirit, not the flesh. But as is often the case, the flesh gets in the way. Our mind gets in the way. And we think of it through fleshly, earthly terms, and we shut our spirit down. So if they could, if they could recognize Jesus physically, that's what they would be fixated on. And they wouldn't see who he really was because they hadn't come to that yet. So Jesus blinded them physically so that they could see something else. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These disciples, as is the case with all disciples, needed an explanation. Jesus himself was there that day to explain to them, to teach. Just as Philip was there to teach the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, as were Priscilla and Aquila able to teach Apollos in Acts chapter 18 and lead him into a deeper revelation of God so that he could go on to teach others. Who are your teachers? Are you positioned humbly to receive revelation and instruction from others? God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. And he has shown me kingdom truth through my preschool daughter. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and receive the word of instruction with eagerness and then examine the scriptures to see if the word is true. The attitude of the Bereans was key. They were eager. 
they had a positive disposition. A disposition that was seeking truth and transformation rather than looking for heresy and trying to debunk and discredit Paul. To my shame, that was the attitude that I have carried for most of my life. Somewhere I got the idea that I knew more than the average uh, Bible basher. Uh, and so whenever I'd hear someone preaching, Greg even, I'd be nitpicking through to find, oh, is that right? Oh, is that what the Greek says? Oh, I'm not sure about that. And I could pull together three or four verses, which I thought said the opposite. And I went in time and time again looking to pull it down rather than looking for truth and life. I came in with a destructive attitude. How am I ever going to be fed spiritually and grow when I'm going in looking for the bad rather than looking for the good? We can't approach each other and the ministry of God's word with skepticism. We need to come with faith, trusting that God wants to speak to us, that God is speaking, his truth is there to be found, trusting that God is speaking, that his written word will confirm every word that is truly of him. When we hear someone preach, when we read a book or an article on faith, or even when we are just having a conversation with a believer, we need to be looking for the redemptive potential and what they have for us. We need to be looking for gold and precious stones of truth and pull them out. And with that positive attitude, we won't get bogged down with any mud that may be in there too. You know where you find gold and precious stones? You find them in mud. You find them locked away in rubbish ores and, and earthy metals. You've got to dig for them. But no, no, all we see is mud and, and we throw the whole lot out. I'm not saying it's all mud. Yes, we use discernment, but not with a critical spirit. Does God's spirit a critical spirit? Is that how the scriptures describe the Holy Spirit? Critical? Skeptical? Cynical? Or is there a spirit of life and truth? Back to Luke 24. From verse 28 now. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And open the scriptures to us. This is, I, I think this is such a special moment here. And I don't want to build a formula out of it. But after walking along and talking, they sat down and they broke bread. And then in that pause relationally, then their eyes were opened. 
They didn't figure this out for themselves either. Jesus gave them spiritual sight so they could finally see what their physical eyes could not. This revelation came in a special environment. Communion with God and with each other. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those who were with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. It's the first thing they do. Even though, as, as they said with Jesus, it was, um, it was turning to night, they got up and immediately went back to Jerusalem. Re- Revelation is supposed to be shared. Their encounter with Jesus mobilized them to share it with others. Verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Sharing the revelation, testifying to what they had seen and experienced, that builds faith. My brother shared testimony this morning. My faith was built. Maybe that is not your experience, but I can now tap into that experience of God working in someone else's life. And now I am positioned better to receive from him. So the 11 disciples, full of doubt, not knowing what those women were on about, then hear from two of the guys who are saying, yes, yes, it's true. The women do know what they're talking about. Listen to them. And something, something changes in the room. Maybe, they're now, maybe their faith is built. Maybe they're positioned now to receive something else. And then Jesus stands among them. Testifying of what they've seen builds faith. And in that environment, the disciples receive an encounter for themselves. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. There are deeper truths 
in God's word that we are missing, that we have been missing because we are not looking with our spiritual eyes open. Bible study, I have come to see, is not an academic exercise. It is a spiritual exercise. There are people who have doctorates in biblical studies, in New Testament studies, in New Testament Greek, who are not believers in Jesus. Just as in Jesus' day, there were Pharisees who could quote the scriptures beginning to end, but could not see Jesus the man they prophesied about when he was standing right in front of them. The scriptures are not a textbook. They are not theoretical. They are the living word of God, inspired, written by the Holy Spirit. It's his book. Our reading of it is an engagement with him, or it should be. King David prayed this in in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Are you reading with your eyes closed, with your mind closed to new revelation, shut down to something that you haven't heard or understood before? Are you reading with your spirit asleep? If we want to grow, we have to be open to God bringing us more, bringing us different to what we've received before. If we're not getting more, if we're not getting something extra, something different, how can we grow? Or do you just want to hear the same sermon Preached over and over again. The sequel to the Gospel of Luke is the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 2 we read this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It was together again that the Holy Spirit anointed them in power. That anointing led to anointed preaching. Thousands are saved. And that leads to more community as they are saved into community and that community multiplies and spreads all over the earth and it takes the message of hope and power and grace to the whole world from the start of his public ministry jesus created a community of discipleship he surrounded himself with followers and not just the 12 apostles but many others as well and he taught them in groups Discipleship was a team sport. After God called me to leave my staff position at another church, 
I uh, I didn't have a clear sense of where what God wanted me to go. I had a clear call that I must put the position down and step away from it. And so I was considering my options. The ministry had been my only career. What other job opportunities were in Wellington? What was around the country? And I started to think, what would I do if I didn't work for a church? There are pros and cons to working in a church. Believe me. And so I started to think about what it might be like to work in the marketplace and look at what skills I had that were transferable. And some interesting opportunities actually started to come up. And as I explored those, I started to think, wouldn't it be great to set up my own little house church? I could be the boss. I could decide when we met, where we met, what we talked about, what we did with the offering, which would be whatever I put in the offering. And all these things, I I would be able to make all the calls. And that really appealed to me. Because submission hasn't always been a strong suit of Clay McGregor. And so I started to explore this. Um, That whole process didn't get very far. The Lord clearly had another plan for me. And so he uh, knocked that one on the head uh, pretty quickly. But the fantasy of uh, being in charge of my own little house church uh, was very appealing. But had that been the case, had I gone to the marketplace, had I uh, got that job, the money would have been great. That would have been awesome. And it would have been very convenient to be the boss of my own little church, my own little world. But what would I have missed out on? Those who know me know what I would have missed out on. Because the Clay McGregor who stands here today is not the Clay McGregor who came here five years ago. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Leslie and I have been challenged and grown in ways that I couldn't, I, I know would never have happened if we hadn't followed God's leading here. I've been exposed to teaching and experiences that have broadened my understanding of God, His kingdom, and my place in it. And all of this was black and white in Scripture the whole time. But I did not have the spiritual sight to see it. I needed to be in community to be exposed to these revelations. I needed to be in community to see God move in extraordinary ways and have my faith stretched beyond its limits. I needed to be in community to receive the prayer, ministry, and discipleship that was imparted the wisdom and anointing that has broken through my old mindsets and burst the old wineskin that would not contain the new wine that God had for me. But it's not enough just to turn up to a church service. It's not what I'm talking about. We need to engage in real edifying relationships and challenging conversations. We need to contend for truth together. Do you know how a, a knife or a sword or a chainsaw is sharpened? It is rubbed with an abrasive stone or with a grinder, which is incredibly abrasive. 
And in that process, the roughness is honed off and a fine, keen edge is produced. So it is with our discipleship. I came here rough. I'm still pretty rough. But I came here rough. I had a lot of rough edges. And it's interesting that God used some often abrasive encounters and conversations to wear away some of the less godly uh, aspects of, of my character. Discipleship is not always a comfortable process. And that's why we're not that keen to engage in it full on. We want nice, sweet, smooth, comfortable discipleship. No one pushing our buttons. No one challenging us. And if it gets too full on, maybe well, we need to find somewhere else. And so it was with Jesus. A lot of people walked away because it was too hard. Turns out, following Jesus is really hard. Finally said that in the Bible. Oh, it does. It's really hard to follow him. It'll take your life. We need to approach each other humbly so that we can learn from each other. Receive ministry, support, and revelation from each other. Otherwise, we limit how God can speak to us and minister to us. And we could even miss completely what he has for us altogether. We need to put ourselves in environments where we can be edified by all the gifts of the Spirit. And so receive revelation, instruction, and all the impartation that he has for us. See, that was a problem for me. There was a very small list of people that I was prepared to receive anything from. And they were all very strong, exegetical preachers. All with a minimum of a master's degree. See, I would only receive in the way that I... I that I liked to receive. And so I wasn't receiving really anything. I was, it, was just this, it was this closed circuit where it just kept reaffirming everything I already knew to be true or thought was true. Nothing new was getting in, and so clay wasn't growing. And so you've got to believe, a prideful man like myself, it took some real humbling for God to position me where I could receive from people that I'd I, hadn't, I didn't really respect. I didn't get what they did or understand how God was working through them. And I'm st- still working on that. But, um, but yeah, I'm listening. And the more I listen, I find that God is talking all the time if you have ears to hear. And he speaks from the mouth of babes and he speaks from randoms. But we've got to have ears to hear. This is why we are constantly urging you to keep gathering with us on Sundays. But also so much more than that. It's for, it's, we heard this in the testimony before about, about life groups. It's why we urge you to be committed to a group of people in a life group. And it's why we've been investing so much time 
energy and resource into an awesome new opportunity for us to walk together into deeper knowledge and experience of our God and his power. This opportunity is Ignite. Ignite is not a course. If you hear me use the word course in relation to Ignite, I empower you to flick my ear. Because that is not what it, it's not what it is. And when we hear course, we're like, oh yeah, I've done a course. I've done discipleship courses. I've been there. I've done that. It's not a course. And it is not like anything I've been involved in before. What Ignite is, is a discipleship environment built around the presence of God in which we will contend for truth together and disciple each other with the power of all the spiritual gifts that God has given us so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Also, Ephesians 4 says. So what that means is that in this environment, I am not your teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and he is going to teach us all through each other. So I don't believe that I walk in the door on a Sunday night and I'm carrying the truth and I've got the answers you need. I believe the Holy Spirit has the truth and I'm walking in with my ears open because I've got to believe that I'm going to walk out with more truth than I came in with. We're looking for an environment where we are all empowered to be able to share as the Holy Spirit leads us. I can't wait for this to begin. Ignite is a creative approach to communal discipleship that we will be applying to our Sunday evening services. These are Sunday gatherings. We'll be running these over the next few months, starting on the 25th of August. We will explore together who God is and what it means to know him and walk in his ways. We will explore the power and intimacy of prayer in the scriptures, the purpose and function of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the beauty of a servant heart, and the simple message of love and hope that alone can save the lost. The delivery will engage all the senses and move us to wrestle with some really challenging questions about God, about his kingdom, about his church, and about ourselves. We will begin with a night of ministry and impartation. As we, we seek a specific anointing, that's the anointing that Jesus gave his disciples when he opened their eyes to see who he really is, when he opened their mind to really understand the scriptures. We want to start there, believing that what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14 is true. He is our teacher. He will lead us into truth. He will remind us of the things that Jesus has spoken. In fact, this is the environment that we want to create every time we meet together. An encounter with the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work in us and through us. I've come to believe that I need you. I really need you. I used to think... I needed God and a good set of commentaries. 
Now I know I need you. I need the faith that is in you. I need the gifts that are on you. I need the experiences that you have had that I haven't. I need your testimonies. And through these things, God is building me up. But it's not about me, is it? Through all of this, God is building his church. And without you, his church is something less. Because his plan was his church with you in it. And without you, engaged, participating, giving, surrendering, the body of Christ is not as perfect, as whole as it could be. And that is what we are trying to do here. That's why we're banging on about unity at the moment. And we'll continue to do so. Because if we're not unified, the body of Christ is not unified. We need each other. So, I personally want to invite you, please, to come and walk with me because I need you. I want to learn with you. I want to learn from you. This is the way that Jesus did it. It's the way that he wants us to do it now. How does that sound? Yeah. Sunday the 25th, 5 p.m. We're going to start, we're going to start praying at 4.30. Come and, come and join us. Uh, we'll, we'll pray. We'll do lots of group discussion. We'll look at different ways of, of approaching some powerful essential doctrines. Uh, but what they mean for our lives, we don't want to build anyone's head knowledge. We want to see transformation in our lives so that we are different than who we were, shaped more into the likeness of Christ. Yeah, and I believe that I will be more like him as a result of you in my life and through this process. And I believe we as a church will be more like the body, the body of Christ that he, he called us to be. If you have any questions about, about this Ignite environment, please fire me in a, question, um, a question either at uh, clay at the rock.co.nz or ignite at the rock.co.nz and we can answer those questions. We'll, we'll have something for the, for your children. Um, we're going to break bread together, uh, have a meal or break curry together, break a naan bread together, just as the disciples did. Because, um, it's act- the relationships are key. It's crucial. So, uh, yeah. Come and do this with us. It's going to be awesome. And um, and just that sentiment of wanting to share with each other and build each other up, let's carry that to all the environments which we meet in. And, yeah, get in a life group. All right, that's really what I felt to share this morning, and I hope that that has edified you. Let me just – would you stand with me? I just, I just, want, to, I just want to pray uh, pray with you, and, and if I say anything you like, say amen. And um and uh, God likes it when we agree in, agree in prayer. Yeah, there you go. It's on. Oh, Lord, you are good. You are good this morning, and you are good uh, every, every morning you are good. And, Lord, as you gather your people in unity, your goodness abounds among us. Thank you, Lord. And I pray you just help us to surrender ourselves to you, to let you do your good work in us, Lord. And we are confident, Lord, that you will carry on and continue and complete the good work you've started in us, Lord. Thank you for that. 
But Lord, I pray you, we just need to participate with that work, Lord. So I pray you'd help us to do that. Help us to lay our lives down. Surrender, Lord, our will. Pull down our pride, I pray. I pray you'd help us just to, to, to come to a new level of honor and respect for each other and be able to identify the gifts and that same spirit of God that is on every one of us and allow you, Lord, to work through us all. Lord, I pray just for the word that was shared this morning, Lord, that every bit of it that was you, that was your truth, that we would retain, Lord, and that would be festering away within us, working away, bubbling, transforming us. Lord, and anything which is not of you, Lord, that it would just be forgotten. We're here for you and your truth, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that that truth would really be changing us now. In Jesus' name, amen.